What's up, guys, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, joined in studio with me right here. JB, what's going on, man? How you doing? J-Mac, it's Sunday again. Uh, another week has rolled around and um, a lot happening. I mean, it seems like everything seems to be coming at us quick and heavy on the weekends these days, which which works just fine for us. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to be, you know, doing this six or seven days a week. It's, it's just, you know, not a big deal, but it's, it's fun to do. And of course, I wasn't going to miss Perpetually Correct. Big week, 81 days until regular season football. We're not going to count down time till preseason because that's a joke, but I mean, we're right around the corner from that. We're almost to the MLB All-Star break. Basketball is over. Hockey's over. It's a big shift in the sports landscape right now. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Your mind shift goes from, you know, all these premier games with the finals and playoffs to now we're shifting to all the, you know, draft, free agent news, trades. I mean, it's just a different mindset because you start to get a little bit more excited for the what-ifs moving forward. So, um, as a sports fan, you know, we saw that happen yesterday. I mean, the trades are already starting to flow in, and I feel like that's changed a lot over the last decade. I mean, it used to be, you know, like baseball, you had the winter meetings where everything happened, and, you know, basketball and football, you'd always have everything happen at a certain time, and now it seems like it's just a free-for-all 365. You know, no time off. These guys are making moves constantly. It's true, but I also think that we live in the age of social media where we don't have to wait for these big blockbuster things to come down and come home and see it on ESPN. We know about it instantaneously, so it feels like, like for instance, like the Anthony Davis trade to the Lakers, which we'll talk about more in depth here in a few minutes, but you think about that, you've been hearing about that since the beginning of the season, minimum? Yeah, I mean, definitely the rumors. Ever yeah. since LeBron went to the Lakers, that's always been a, a discussion. So it's a constant talking point, and it ends up being this thing that finally just kind of came true and now you're just kind of glad that it's over so you can stop hearing about it yeah i mean a absolutely so it's is exciting for the nba landscape certainly uh kind of overshadows what happened earlier in the week with uh yeah. with the new champion but um and, that, and that's just in basketball though i mean i'm just talking about in all sports it s tends to be that way because you have these narratives that run for so long and then all of a sudden it comes true or it doesn't and it's it is delayed gratification in a way. It's just different. It keeps us going all the time, to your point. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll have, like, I think at the All-Star break, we'll have, like, a little bit of time off, like maybe a week, and then it'll be all the way to the trade deadline. Then we're doing uh, the Colorado trip for the outfielder, and then I'll be off a lot of August, I think. I think that's kind of when I'm going to take my time and make it happen. It's going to be before football. You and I are going to be cruising through football season we're hiring a blogger for football. Like we're doing a ton to be ready for football, and I want to make sure I'm well rested because we're going to need it. Yeah, and to your point, it's a big next couple of weeks. You know, trips coming up, All Star break, and you know, one thing to note if if it's something you missed over the off season is the new rule change in the MLB where there's only one trade deadline. Yes. So you know, famously after the July 31st, then you could do the waiver trades, you know, guys who passed through, you know, Alex Rios a decade ago was a big name. You know, Justin Verlander was probably the most recent big name that made that impact. So um, I'm not sure if that speeds up the timeline for trades for teams. Maybe we see them happen before the July 31st teams, just not wanting to wait, knowing that there isn't that second option. Or if it delays it because the sellers go, hey, you don't have another option. We're holding out for the best offer. So yeah. I think it's going to be an interesting aspect to watch with baseball on how you know both sides, the buyers and sellers, handle the, these new rules. 
That's a really good point. I didn't I haven't really thought a ton about that because most people don't even know what the non waiver trade deadline was in the first place. Right. I feel like I explained that to a lot of people over the last few years. And so I don't think that really changes a whole lot for baseball other than to your point, I think it does try to get teams thinking sooner about their needs. And I just don't think that teams really look at what their needs are in baseball specifically until like after the all-star break. And even then it just feels like that's not a lot of time because it happens right at the end of July. So it's going to be cool to watch how that unfolds. I feel like that's going to be a lot of coverage for us and stuff. So it's going to keep, it's going to keep July pumping. That's why I'm taking August off because it's a boring time for baseball and pretty much all sports more or less. Yeah. And and to your point, um, maybe some teams are thinking about it. The Yankees pulled the trigger yesterday, bringing in Edwin and Carcion from uh, Seattle. Um, And Seattle feels like they've been selling since last, (laughs) I mean, last year ended and they, you know, they moved James Paxton, Edwin Carcion. I mean, seems like anyone that has a pulse on that team that someone wants is definitely up for grabs in Seattle right now. It's very true. It's very true. Well, we'll go ahead. We'll get more into baseball here in just a second, but I want to wrap up NHL for the season. The Bruins officially lost. Blues won. It was a great series played by the Blues. In game seven of this series, Boston never even really came out of the gate. They went down 2 nothing early, and it was pretty much over from there. Yeah, Boston came out firing a lot of pucks on net. Um, they they seemed to. It was kind of a repeat of Game Five where they almost seemed too cute. There was one extra pass, too many, um, where you're just like just fired up there. Uh, Bennington had a great series. He stepped up when they needed him to. And hey, uh, you know it, it's tough as a Stars fan because I watched you know Game Seven double OT where Jamie Ben missed a wide open backhander. Uh, that would have sent them to the conference finals, and we wouldn't be talking about the Blues winning it. Uh, and you kind of had the same deal. Boston had plenty of opportunity. I remember texting you during the game that, man, if Boston isn't leading after one and the Blues can weather this storm, uh, it's going to be a tough go for Boston to really get it back. And and then some weak goals led up on Boston's side. But you know what? A great series from both teams. Game sevens are so unpredictable. You know, it takes one bounce, you know, in, in any – any series, baseball, basketball, NHL. So uh, we were treated to, uh, you know, a fantastic series uh, there and throughout the NHL playoffs, which is all you can really ask for as a sports fan. Does it make you feel better that the Stars lost to the Blues? It must. No, not at all. We, I mean, that that game seven, for anyone who didn't watch, I think they're outshot by about 40, 40 on net by the Blues anyway. I mean, they completely dominated it, and there was no reason the Stars should have won anyway, but they were in it. Um, but, no, I mean, it's easy to say, hey, you lost to the eventual champs. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that's anything the players care about. I think that's yeah. more of a fan standpoint. Like, well, hey, you know, that, that's who we lost to, so I'm okay with it. But uh, I, I think if you go ask anyone in that uh, on that roster, they're, that's not anywhere near their thought of um, their thought line. Yeah, and I get that. It's it, it, that makes sense. It's just it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of people find solace in that for some reason. I never really do because I think back on the journey through the playoffs, and I don't know that the Stars would have made it all the way like that either. I think, and I think Boston would have definitely taken care of them a lot quicker. Well, and I think that's the dangerous part of that in any sport when you go, well, hey, if they did win, what else would have happened? It's impossible to predict or know. Um, and it can kind of drive you crazy when you start to think about it a little bit as a fan. So, um, you know, you, you take it, you move on, and uh, now we're moving into the offseason NHL, which is 
probably one of the more boring now, NHL doesn't really have trades like these other sports. I mean, they're kind of like the NFL where you don't ever really see top big-name guys moved. Move. The NFL's kind of grown out of that a little bit, but uh, it's pretty rare in the NHL that you see a, a top player name moved or even leaving free agency, let alone that. Unless you're like John Tavares or something like that. And even that wasn't maybe a – was that a top name? I guess it was. Yeah, well, that's that what I'm saying. And it was historic. such a big deal to those Islanders fans. They're still hating on them. I mean, it's for whatever reason, the NHL – and, I mean, that was you know similar to what the NBA was a decade ago. Right. You know, you didn't leave. Your stars didn't leave. You got drafted. That was your team. If they wanted you to stay, you stayed. And now that's changed. So maybe the NHL's um, you know evolving as well. But – we haven't seen that in the past to, to keep up, so it'll be interesting. I was going to say, I wonder, I, I've wondered about this a lot. I wonder if the NHL starts to move along that same path of starting to use analytics, starting to embrace tanking a little bit more, all those things. And, and I, I don't, you know, admittedly, I don't know enough about how the league is structured to really completely understand how that would work and what safeguards are already in place to keep that from happening. You just got to wonder with the evolution of all these sports. I mean, basketball is a prime example of explosive growth in the last 10 years. I mean, it's bigger than it's ever been, and it's not even close. And you just got to wonder if hockey is going to follow suit there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I think to your point, there's been other sports that have developed in that way. Um, so it, are they able to you know, stay in line with that? Right. I mean, there were finals that were on tape delay in the NBA at one point. I mean, you know, like it, it's come from a long way and it just feels like you could follow that same model. And it's almost like they follow the same model as sort of a hybrid between like baseball and football, I would say for yeah. growth. And it's worked really well for them. So you got to wonder, is that the, the map going forward for the NHL? Let me ask you this. So if you look at the Boston teams, if you look aside from the Patriots and Red Sox, if you looked at the beginning of the season and told me the Bruins were going to be out there and the or the the Bruins are going to be out early, uh, in Game Seven, and then the Celtics are going to lose out in the second round, wouldn't you? What what would you have said to me? Would you have called me crazy? No, I I mean Boston was a top team in the NHL. Certainly, some good advanced stats that uh, really back up them getting to the cup and. Uh, I, I think the East in basketball overall was a big question mark. And as we know, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks really matched up and had their way with the Celtics through, you know, most of the season. So, you know, if the Celtics yeah. found a way to catch Toronto, who they manhandled during the regular season, would have been a different story. So, and that's why it's always tough to say the what if game because the matchups are so important with these teams. See, I would have said the exact other way around. Boston going into the season was a favorite to go to the finals. I mean, it's obviously easy to talk about hindsight now, but if you talked about the beginning of this year, where they were headed, the upside growth, Kyrie being back, what they did, you know, again, you know, I mean, they lost in the very last round of the Eastern Conference finals last year to LeBron and the Cavs. So, I mean, that really could have gone either way for them. So, I mean, you look, you were building on that success going into the season. I think anything less than getting to the Eastern Conference Finals was a big letdown. I know it was for me as a Celtics fan, but I can tell you that I did not see the Bruins being the one that takes it all the way to a Game 7 and the Celtics being out early. Just given where the Bruins are developmentally, it seems like they're still, they've got good years to come. They're very young. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we love sports is it's unpredictable. I mean, that's the, the beginning year predictions are rarely match up with how they end. So, and that's why we love it. That's, that's why we can't get enough. That's why we watch. Well, I guess segue into NBA pretty crazy that uh, the Raptors finally get their first Larry O'Brien trophy, but good on them. I made a, a reaction video. Congratulations to Kawhi, the MVP. How do you feel like this went overall? Yeah, I mean, great for them. Uh, you know, I, I can't understand why people are wanting to put asterisks on this already based on injuries. Um, it was kind of similar to when Golden State actually won their first NBA championship when Kevin Love was hurt. Um, and I believe Kyrie was out for a large part of that series as well. I could be wrong. There was, you know, they play four or five times. So it's hard to remember all the injuries, but a similar narrative how folks were saying, well, you know, the, I mean, the Warriors won, but, you know, LeBron was playing with, you know, Della Dova and, you know, the, this, you know, joke of a supporting cast. But, you know, NBA Finals, you get there, you're playing against superstars. You know, Steph Curry in his own right, people have wanted to put up on a, a pedestal. So, um, you know, they they still had Steph and Clay the whole series till the end. So I, this was a fantastic series by the Toronto Raptors. Nick Nurse, you have to give the guy credit. Uh, it was just 12 years ago that he had taken a job that I read was paying him $40 a day to coach. He had to wash their uniforms, do everything on his own. I mean, this is a guy, if you have not read about his story, you need to. Um, a total self-made coach, came from pretty much, you know, not not a great coaching line or tree like some of these guys who come up and play for, you know, let's say a great basketball school, can, you know, be an assistant coach and learn the ropes. I mean, this guy's really a self-made uh, into what he is today. So I give them full credit. You talk about the – the ownership and the front office taking a huge gamble on Kawhi and paying off. Uh, you just, you rarely see that work. I mean, to your point with the Boston Celtics, you know, bringing in Kyrie kind of on a, a rental basis, not knowing his future um, didn't pan out for them, but I give the Raptors all the credit in the world. Love seeing the development of these guys and hope, hope Kawhi comes back. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things there. I, I think that as the smoke clears from this finals and we get a little further away from it, it'll be easier to look back on the Raptors and, and see what all they did in this game because it was a lot. And they had the right pieces come alive, such as Kyle Lowry, who on the basketball show we mercilessly make fun of. I mean, he came alive at the right time, and that's what matters. And people are out there crushing Steph because he's 0 for 7 and shots under 20 seconds in the finals, but that, that completely disregards the other 45 points he puts up in other games. So, I mean, I don't really think that that's a fair fair thing to go at on Steph. I, I do think, though, that if Clay would have not exited that game, it would have gone to a Game 7, and that would not have been a great situation for Toronto. Yeah, again, it's tough to predict. Um, I think the Steph narrative was more that he had four points in the fourth quarter without Clay. So I think some people looked at that and said, you know, it, but how much emotional toll can a team really take? I mean, they had so many injuries. At some point, you just you can't overcome it all, and you're asking guys, you know, to play outside of their normal roles. And uh, you just have to give Toronto credit to go on the road, beat Golden State in Oracle Arena three times is huge. And uh, at the end of the day, th they did what it took to get the Ws. So, but I mean, um, after I'm Clay went, I mean, this was a game that was won by four points total. After Clay went out, they were. 
they were cooking all the way up until the end. I mean, whenever Steph took that three with a one-point lead with like 20 seconds to go, you thought that was going to go in. I mean, he still had 21 points in this game, and that was a little bit of an off game. He shot 27.3% from three, so a little bit of an off game. But, I mean, it was just him in a lot of that game, and the fourth quarter was all him, and that's it. I mean, I, I get that people want to knock on him because he's not putting the team on his back like LeBron did, but he's not that kind of player. It's a different type of player. LeBron is just a physical beast. Yeah, exactly. It is a different player, and but I think it does speak to how people are trying to anoint him uh, into something he maybe isn't. He's still a great player, and he's a top twenty uh, player of all time. I mean, <laughs> yeah, in shooting wise, and it, it's just it's a different comparison no, all the way around, <laughs> right? Yeah, but I think people want to compare him to you know like a Kobe type or a LeBron. It, it's People want to do that, and it's just not right. So, uh, but I, at the end of the day, look, it's an NBA championship. They deserve Toronto deserved to win it, and uh, there's no asterisks there. You beat them. You beat them four to two. So uh, I'm not sure how else you can read into that. But people always want to find a way to doubt them and doubt Toronto, and that that's on them. But I, I'm going to move forward to be excited no, for what we've seen for them. That's what I'm saying, though. Is uh, which, by the way, I have to pick on this. I have to ask you about this. This is something you just mentioned. Do you think that Kobe is a better player all around all time than Steph? Well, I think that's to be told. Steph's career is not over, so that's right. hard to compare. But and I just mean up to this point. point. I mean, trajectory-wise. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's tough to say. I think Kobe... Uh, <laughs> I would certainly have rather had Kobe than Steph to this point, but... Again, that's to be written, and especially next year, um, based on the cast that the Golden State's probably going to have based on their salary cap issue, I think we're going to learn a lot about Steph as an individual player, being that he's not going to have his splash brothers around him moving forward. I think that we're going to need to have the Kobe discussion at another time because there's some things that might really open your eyes to realizing specifically where Kobe falls. Like I, I think... People talk about Kobe like he's a top 10 player of all time, and that's incredibly wrong. And Steph has already accomplished a lot of what Kobe accomplished. And you can look at rings and all that, but I mean, Shaq, you know, Powell, there's a lot of things to consider there. So we'll have to have that conversation another time. I don't take this away from the Raptors at all. I think that it, it gives a general feeling that just because Golden State had a bunch of injuries that the Raptors somehow had an easier way. That's how these things go like that. in any sport, especially in things that take a seven game series, you're going to lose your players at times. They happen to lose three really elite players. And of course that doesn't look great for the overall big picture. And it, it naturally almost just that narrative alone wants to take away from what the Raptors did, but it shouldn't. And I hope that the revisionist history looks back on it with a little bit better regard because Toronto played their ass off in this series, to your point. Yeah, and I guess the flip side of it, people never want to give credit. Well, what about the series that Golden State won leading up to the NBA Finals without KD? No one goes, oh, wow, you know, this is a really good team. They're able to win without KD. No, no one was saying that. Like, oh, well, you know, it's still a better team. They should take care of them. So I, I think there's that reverse side where the credit's not given when teams are able to play well without their stars. But then when they lose without them, people are very quick to jump on, go, oh, see, they can't do it without them. So right. I think you need to give the credit 
on both sides. So, um, but people, that, that's not a fun talking point, which is why it doesn't happen. No, people don't like talking about the fact that, like I said, this was a four-point game, and it came right down to the wire. Toronto tried to piss this game away a couple of times. Right. And it would not have been a good situation for them to be in a game seven when they were up 3-1, and you're against one of the most clutch teams of all time, regardless of injury. I mean, you... We talked about this going into it, but like going into game six, they needed a lot of things to fall properly. They needed Boogie to be good. They needed Iguodala to be good. They needed a little bit out of Sean Livingston. They needed their depth to show up. They, I mean, Kevon Looney, people aren't talking about the fact that he played with like ripped up ribs. You know, like that is a warrior, no pun intended, to say the least. Like that is a dude who's out there trying to fight for his team because he knows they don't have options. Right, and nice pun. I like that. Yeah, yeah. But I I think like that's probably not talked about quite enough, but I also get why, because they didn't win. So that's that's all that matters. Right. That, that, at the end of the day, you're just looking at, at the W. So either way, great series. We're excited. We've, we've already started to see the NBA, you know, offseason take shape. Yeah, for sure. So that being said, Kevin Durant confirmed ruptured Achilles. One of the worst injuries, period, that somebody can have, but it's particularly in basketball. Where's your head at on what he's going to do next? Yeah, and we've talked a little bit off air about this. Uh, I think there's mutual interest for him to come back to Golden State. Obviously, he has a player option. Uh, Teams are, I think when you look at the Warriors and his potential to come back with that injury, with Clay's injury, in the salary cap, you know, it's really going to be interesting to see how the Warriors handle that. Um, from what I've read, it's going to be really hard to expect Kevin Durant back next year, or if he is, it's going to be, you know, on a very minimal basis around the playoff time. Uh, he's Clay, not you know, no I, way. I mean, he's got to sit for a year, dude. A ruptured Achilles, you know how bad right. that is. That well, is terrible. Well, that's what I'm saying. So if you're looking at, you know, re-signing KD to the max, you know, he's out for a year. So how does that affect your team moving forward? And, you know, we've seen it, uh, you know, the odds for Golden State to win it next year, you know, they're pretty down there. I mean, I think they're around 14 to 15 to one, um, which is immensely high. And I think to your point, it's more surrounding the fact that uh, KD will for sure be out for the year. And, you know, when you listen to these doctors talk about it, Dr. David Chow is a fantastic um, Twitter follow if you're looking for an injury guy and he really spoke a nauseam about how, even when Kevin Durant does come back, you know, this isn't someone that's going to be playing, you know, 80 plus games a year. And for a team like golden state, who has the pedigree and talent to be going in deep playoff runs, you know, it's really going to be about load management for a guy like KD moving forward. He's in his, you know, by the time he comes back, he's going to be in his mid thirties um, with that injury. And I think a perfect situation is being on a team like Golden State with other talent to help carry when he does have to sit. And it's part of the reason that the Lakers struggled so much is because, you know, LeBron at the age he is can't be playing every night. And you have to be able to have players around you to take on that load. And, you know, Popovich has done great at that with his teams over the years as they aged, being able to still manage that but remain competitive. So it's going to be a lot to ask especially if he goes to a team, let's say, like the Knicks, who have been a huge rumor, who's very young and don't have a lot of elite talent around him, you know, I, I would really struggle to see how a better situation is out there other than him sticking with Golden State as long as they're willing to make that commitment. So I get that, and that realistically seems like it makes sense, but 
the other side of this is this is a catastrophic injury. I can't emphasize that enough. And I understand what KD's mindset is as far as like he's a competitor and he's going to try to bet on himself when he can and all that. I get that. But at the same time, it realistically, he's just not going to be the player that he was. He's still going to be a very good player and a very valuable piece, but he's not going to have that spring in his step. Look at Boogie. Now, Boogie's about probably 60% healthy right now, but I mean, he came back quickly and he has not looked great all year overall. He's shown nope. up in pretty big moments. He looks fine offensively, but defensively, he does not have that jump at all. And they are not going to rush back Kevin Durant. They're just not. He's a top 10 player of all time. And he's in the prime of his career. He's going to be 32 by the time he plays basketball again. But they are absolutely going to sit him for a full year. There's no question in my mind. That being the case, you do not know, like regardless of how competitive, how much you want to bet on yourself, you do not know what you're going to be after that that injury and he may not be a four-year 187 million or 178 million dollar player after that in which case he will have taken a very sizable bet on himself and lost big time and i just don't think he can take that bet because i know i know that there are teams that are going to throw that at him no doubt about it i completely agree and a team should you know you got to take that risk and players like him don't become available often uh, but i completely agree from the standpoint of he's not going to be what he was uh, and any player moving into the mid-30s, you know, you start to see a little bit of a regression. Absolutely. Um, Which, and we've talked about this before, and I'm very anti-pain, uh, you know, tall guys. I mean, I know Kevin Durant's not a center, but he's a very large and tall human being. Mm -hmm. And once those injuries start to happen to these guys, they don't they don't improve. I, I mean, to your point with Boogie Cousins, I'm a very anti-Joel Embiid guy from the standpoint of he's had – more injuries than anyone can count and he's not getting healthier, but people still want to build a franchise around him. And I would trade him if I could. Um, I'm just not on boat of giving, you know, max money and setting my team up for failure with a guy who is coming off a horrific injury in the latter part of his career. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but you know what? Teams are always looking for a way to win and, maybe he'll make that difference. But even Kobe Bryant couldn't come back after his Achilles injury. It's just not one in basketball that can really translate back to the success you had before. For whatever reason, I'm not a medical professional, but there's something with that injury that does not allow these guys in basketball to specifically be able to come back. But the, Well, yeah, it's because of the side-to-side -side motion. I mean, in football, you're running routes straight up, straight out. You know, I mean, right. you're kind of running in a straight line overall, but in basketball, it's so different than that where you're just trying to get a look. And I, I'm with you, but that's just all the more reason why KD should want to try to get paid here because this will most likely be his last contract. And I get the, the logic behind opting in, spending one year rehabbing on the Warriors' dime and making $31.5 million, but what if, that in, what if you pop it again while you're, you're rehabbing and then it's over? And then your career's done, and you've bet on yourself for no reason. Ask Nerlens Noel. He just did it. I know that's a little bit different of a case. I mean, this this whole, like, sitting down for a year thing, I mean, the Mavericks just did it with Kristaps Porzingis, and again, a little bit different of a case because he's not Kevin Durant, but they had no problem sitting him down for a year and saying, you know what, we got time. And they did that midseason, but even so, the Knicks were going to have that approach as well. And I just think that teams are not going to pass up Kevin Durant, no matter what form that is 
especially if they're going to put another superstar behind him. I don't think things have changed a whole lot there. I really don't. Yeah, and I would agree. And I think a lot of these injury resting is from teams who, one, know they can. You know, like the Warriors, hey, we can afford to let you rest. And then other teams looking at going, hey, we we can't beat the Warriors with you at 80% anyway, so let's get you 100% and hopefully next year we can. Um, my, but, my favorite argument for this whole thing is, and of course now, uh, you know, Golden State's ownership has come out and said that they want to give both Clay and KD a max which would put them like 150 to 175 million over in luxury tax just on tax alone. Right. And everybody's been trying to make the argument that they're not going to pay that. That's absurd. Like if they decide to go that route, like that is an it's a sunk cost for a year. But at the end of the day, you still come out ahead because you're in a more competitive situation. I don't think that'll happen, but I just think it's hilarious that people are trying to make that argument. Yeah, and to your point, I think they will try to max them both out and look at his long term. Hey, we got another four years then after that to be extremely competitive. And it's going to allow a real growth year that we talked about with Steph earlier. It's going to allow him to really understand, uh, you know, how to be the man. Uh, sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need to be put in a situation where you are the only option uh, and you kind of learn a little bit more about yourself as a player. Uh, it's kind of what Kawhi's done. Since, you know, the great years of Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker, those, those guys phased out, he learned how to be that player because he had to be. Um, and sometimes you don't know and uh, can't think of how you'll react until you're in that situation. So I think in the long run, maybe a step back this year, but it'll be two steps forward once this team is back and healthy. Right. And I mean, the, yeah, you're paying $150 million in luxury tax and all that stuff, but I mean, the jerseys, the you know, I mean, the trips to the finals, all that stuff, all that is money in the bank. It's a simple inflow outflow thing. It's a business. And yep. these guys realize these guys are Silicon Valley guys. They understand that sometimes there's sunk costs involved in what we're doing here. Right. So I, I think, you know, I was on here before talking about, you know, we, we really narrowed down the options for KD before the injury and we're kind of on board that he would most likely be coming back. Uh, and, and I think with the injury, that may have kind of sealed it up just based on uh, obviously what we've seen, the support from his teammates. I think the media likes to make a narrative that KD and, you know, the Warriors, it's not a perfect marriage. But I think from what we've seen from the outpouring of support from that, it, it's a lot stronger than what we've been led to believe as, you know, fans. I strongly agree with that. I do. For the record, I do not think he will resign there, but I do think that that is absolutely true. And they've, I, I've been on record of saying that for quite some time. I've never thought that marriage was nearly as bad as it was. It would have absolutely boiled over in the four years that it's been a thing if that would have been the case. And we saw what? A couple of verbal lash outs at each other? I mean, come on, what are we talking about here? But it was between him and Draymond more than anyone. Yeah. Draymond just, that, that's he barks a whole at everybody. Other that's his thing. So we mentioned it before we got started on the basketball track. The other big thing in basketball that happened, Anthony Davis finally traded to the Lakers for Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, and three first-round picks, including number four this year. This is a haul for the Pelicans. I would, yeah, I would absolutely agree. You know, our quick reaction was, you know, just amazement. You've been on record about this would take a lot less than people thought. Uh, and I, I still agree with you. I think it would have, but I, the Lakers were in a situation where they were willing to overpay because they knew they had to, and the Pelicans took full advantage of that. You know, you mentioned that they played this perfectly earlier in the year, not doing the deal uh, until they got what they needed. 
and I think it was these extra picks and obviously the Lakers getting that number four pick changed a lot uh, for this deal before when you're looking at going, well, you know, you guys don't really have a top pick for us. May not make sense, but you look at this, you know, they bring in two players that were number two overall selections uh, and then another first round pick. And then as you've mentioned, three future first round picks and the rights to swap others. This is an absolute haul for a team. And, uh, Brandon Ingram is still not fully developed. I don't know why anyone's, you know, writing him off of not being able to be a, you know, a, an everyday starter in the NBA. He's got a lot of talent. I think he's only 21, 22 years old still. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a great opinion on Lonzo Ball. I wasn't huge on him coming out, but you know, certainly has proven he can, you know, be a serviceable point guard. Um, and then you're bringing in Zion, and then you have a plethora of picks. Uh, you've noted that there's been plenty of discussion about them, you know, maybe moving the number four overall pick and bringing in, you know, potentially, you know, another top guy to pair with Zion. And uh, it's starting to kind of feel, and you you can tell me if I'm wrong, it's starting to feel a little bit like, you know, when the Boston Celtics loaded up on all these picks and then they got good really quick because they brought in the right guys. They were able to attract free agents, draft extremely well. And when you're bringing in a guy like Zion, who we expect to be a superstar, if you're able to trade for another top player, and then you have years and years to come of multiple first-round picks, I mean, this team could be very well-positioned moving forward. So I agree with that. I think I've been on record of saying that it would have taken a lot less to get this done, and I still stand behind that other than, and I don't want to put like an asterisk on it because I was definitely wrong in this case, and I'll be the first to put my hand up and say that, but I will say that the Lakers would have absolutely not given them all of this if they weren't certain that they were going to re-sign Anthony Davis. They have to be certain. My whole premise was based on the fact that he's only controllable for one year and he's going to leave. And Rich Paul said that, and that's one part that he he came very... He was very, very vocal on whenever he was talking about dealing him to Boston because he's going to, go, he's going to elect to go into free agency no matter what happens. I feel like that changes here a little bit now that he's with the Lakers because it seems like that's where he wanted to be no matter what and so I still think any other situation it would have taken less to get this done but the Lakers they gave up their draft for the next seven years seven years that's what the Nets just did with Boston And, and that's a really good point and you caught that right and you hit that around the nose that they did that with Boston they moved to New Jersey what in 2011 2012 yeah, or, or right from New Jersey, there. excuse me, to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn. they traded away all those picks for Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and, and a couple of other pieces. And I get... KG. KG, that's right, yeah. And I get why they did that, but... Actually, I, I never really got why they did that. It was great for Boston. But uh, I never really understood that because they got veterans back. They're just proven guys. But this is Anthony Davis, so... Yeah, it's the next seven years of your franchise, but I think there was a desperate portion of this with the Lakers, too, to get this done, because I think if they hadn't gotten this done, they were not going to be in the market for free agents this summer. They're just not going to they were not going to be an attractive destination, whereas now, I mean, they have a great opportunity to sign someone like Kemba, Kyrie, something like that, and and really, really be successful next year. And, And coupled with the fact that the landscape in the West Looks incredibly different, especially with no matter. I mean, it doesn't really matter whether KD leaves or stays now. 
because that completely takes him out of the equation in the West. So, and, and Clay is the same way. So all of a sudden, Golden State's not necessarily a factor. This is this changes things for the Lakers big time. Right, and you know, I I said before the show a little bit that yeah, we agree that they did overpay here, unless they're able to to your point attract you know a Kemba or Kyrie, because then it turns into well. We traded all this for one player, but then it allowed you to bring in someone else via free agency that probably wouldn't have been as interested if if Anthony Davis and LeBron weren't there. So, and as you've mentioned, the landscape of the West is dramatically different uh, now moving forward. So, I, so I'm pretty excited to see exactly who is interested. I, I've said all along, you know, Kemba could be a huge addition to any team he's been had a great career, but been underrated because he hasn't really played with anyone to note. So to see him to be able to, you know, facilitate to LeBron, Anthony Davis. And at this point in LeBron's career, you know, he's always had an issue not having a true point guard, even when he was with Kyrie, you know how they bickered, but yeah, with his health, I think him being in a scenario where Kemba can bring it up, facilitate it, take that pressure off, I think would be huge for him and being able to lengthen the amount of time and games he could play. And that's probably the biggest factor to consider. I think that we're, we talked about this on the basketball show last night. I think that we're going to see the load management thing start to play a bigger factor. I think you really are going to see less of LeBron resting on defense. People don't, people that don't watch basketball enough don't know what they're looking at whenever he's resting on defense. We see a lot of these boneheaded, right. quote-unquote, defensive plays from LeBron, but those are typically times where he's actually just taking a, a second because he plays 40 minutes a game or whatever. Right. And and so I think you're going to see less of that and just less of uh, more of him just sitting. This is the first time that he's played with a player that's probably better than he is. And yeah. I think that's a good thing. I think that's going to just help reinforce things there for him. And I mean, he's 34 years old, so you're probably talking about what, three, four years left? Yeah. Of Something being, like that? Yeah. Of being prime LeBron, like LeBron, LeBron. Right. Right, so you're probably talking about three to four years left, uh, barring injury, of course. And even if Anthony Davis re-signs a long-term deal there, that still makes you desire because he's only what 25, 20, 24, 25. Yeah, he's got to be pretty young. And that put that even sets you up for longer term past LeBron. So overpaying for seven years of the draft is okay, fine. But if four of those are competitive for towards rings, then you're still setting yourself up. I mean, so you lose three years of, you know, two to three years of of draft picks in the first round post-LeBron while you still have Anthony Davis. I mean, that happened, you know, I mean, whatever. You'll figure that out later is how they're looking at it. Yeah, and so just looked it up. He just turned 26. Okay, there you go. So you're talking about a guy that's definitely, you know, moving right into his basketball prime, probably as another decade uh, and if you're able to attract and bring in, you know, a point, it, it makes a lot of sense on both sides. It's, it's really like, probably not overpaying as long as he resigns. If he opts to go into free agency, that would be wild next season. Wild. I, I don't think he will. I mean, being, you know, Rich Paul's his agent, the relationship there, um, obviously being LeBron, one of his best friends. Um, I can't imagine a scenario to your point that the Lakers would do all of this without us, you know, being assured that Anthony Davis will sign with them long-term. I'm with you, but I, I mean, Rich Paul has been very adamant that he will opt into free agency no matter what happens. 
So, I mean, I don't know if he was saying that just to make sure that Danny Ainge didn't put together a package that looked desirable enough for the, you know, for the Celtics to trade for him because they were the only other person in this trade, it seemed like. I mean, I heard some rumblings of the Suns being a third three-way trade partner and uh, a couple things like that in Chicago as well. But overall, they were the only other team that could have gotten that done and they didn't want to offer up Jason Tatum, which I don't hate really. That was just a non-starter. And I, I kind of get where he's coming from there because... There isn't really a do-over with this. And if the odds are that he's not going to re-sign there, and that's why I think this is such a great deal for the Lakers in a lot of ways, because they know he'll re-sign there. Uh, right. I, I don't know if that was Dan... Uh, sorry, I don't know if that was uh, Rich Paul just pumping smoke or what that was. But Right, right. and I think it's good for the NBA as well. Uh, it does allow... I mean, you, we can feel pretty assured LeBron's going to be a top seed in the playoffs next year. Uh, that's good for viewership, good for basketball fans. So I think overall the NBA is probably uh, pretty happy. In New Orleans, can't be too mad. Hey, your consolation prize is uh, you know you ended up getting six first round picks and you won the draft lottery. I know the dra- draft lottery wasn't built into this, but you know maybe some luck happened to their side where it's like, hey, we know you're losing AD. Uh, here's here's a little luck. We'll bring Zion. To you. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that. And you mentioned earlier that really helped things swing towards the Lakers, but I think New Orleans getting the number one pick definitely helps sway things their way too to be able to make this happen in a better manner i think david griffin's a genius he's gonna end up looking like a genius in this when this is all said and done assuming that they draft properly right right and and that's a huge part of it um and as we mentioned a little bit before it'll be interesting to see what happens with that number four overall pick whether they're able to you know bring someone else in or you know that you go through the combine and you know scout these guys go hey we really like this kid and you know, Zion could be going, hey, Cam Reddish, uh, you know, I know he's our third option at Duke, but you got you got to look at this kid. I mean, there may be a little bit of that going on as well. What do you think about Rich Paul's kind of stranglehold on the NBA right now? Um, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent to it because it's there's always going to be someone. Um, there's always going to be that top tier, you know, guy who's directing it, uh, you know, same with baseball and football, you know, you're always going to have that one top agent that's able to kind of facilitate all this. So if it's not him, it's someone else. So to me, it's really a mood point because there's always going to be that guy. Uh, great for him. Great for LeBron, his friends, you know, they've really been able to, you know, come from, you know, Cleveland and it's a great story. You know, they had a documentary on ESPN about it. it it's a fantastic watch. And, um, I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, he's, you know, LeBron obviously helped his career, but you talk about a guy who's working hard and, um, you got to give him the props. I, I, I salute him and you don't have to like it, but you also got to appreciate someone who's good at their craft. Ironically, he's the fourth most powerful agent by dollars salary wise in basketball. Which is wow. crazy. I was shocked by that. Wow. He only has that eighteen. Is crazy. He has eighteen clients. Jeff Schwartz has thirty-four. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Schwartz been a name around for a long time as well. Very so. long time, and that helps. But I th- I love it because I think that people have been so bent out of shape about Rich Paul, and I get that it's not great for basketball when one person can kind of dictate the big players in the league and what what's going to happen. I mean. This Anthony Davis to the Lakers thing has been going on for months and months and months and months and months. And he played it the right way to his credit. And, you know, he got I think he got his client where he wanted to go. And I mean, they can negotiate a pretty fair deal. I think that we've kind of determined here. But I I just think that he disrupts 
the norm of this stuff and people don't like that and he's not afraid to disrupt it and he doesn't really give a shit because he's doing what's best for his client and I get that and I think in this era of player empowerment you're going to see more of this stuff I really do I, I think you can kind of attribute it to you know all aspects of life and just business and working in general is there is a shift going on between you know the different generations and you know, uh, Rich Paul's kind of part of the, you know, the younger generation and he's doing it how he sees best. And, you know, the guys who've been around a while don't like it. Um, but to your point, he's going to do what's best for him and his clients. And we're just seeing that, you know, the market evolve. And we talk about that all the time, you know, in baseball, free agency, NFL, you know, how these markets evolve and change. And I think he's kind of on that forefront and leading that. And people who don't understand it or have been around long enough and haven't seen it, uh, when you don't understand something, people get frustrated. So that's what we're seeing a little bit here. People aren't uh, fully understanding how this landscape's changing. So their way to act out is just through frustration. Yeah. And I get that. And that makes sense. It's just one of those things where I love that people are so been out of shape about it. It's been everywhere this week really has. I mean, he's on the cover of sports illustrated. If you haven't read that article, it's absolutely worth reading. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you get a chance. Um, Okay. Let's talk baseball, and then we got to close out with golf. So just a couple things on the baseball note. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but uh, the Yankees trading for Edwin Encarnacion. What a move, am I right? Yeah, it's an interesting move, and uh, I had a listener you know, send in a question, really how this changes the Yankees lineup, which I want to get your thoughts on. And uh, looking at it, big acquisition, uh, obviously a DH first baseman type. And being that Luke Voigt is there, uh, and I think Luke Voigt's, you know, filled in, had a great year, been hitting the three-hole for them. Um, But Giancarlo Stanton is coming back. uh, And I don't think with that injury, you're going to want him playing in the outfield every day. So when looking at it, it's obviously a very stacked team. Uh, And you have guys like Clint Frazier, Gio Urshali playing at third base, who's been kind of regulated to the bench now with Didi back. Um, how do you see the time really playing out with these guys? Because obviously I think the infield set from second to third, you know, you're going to have Torres, Didi and DJ LeMahieu over at third. Um, but being that, you you know, have Aaron Hicks healthy, you're getting, um, Giancarlo Stanton back, Aaron judge, you would hope is on the horizon at some point, but then you do have prospects like Clint Frazier who has hit well, uh, not great defensively. Uh, but then you, you kind of just have this log jam at a three DH guys. You know, Stanton, you would want a little bit there, Luke Voigt, uh, and Edward and Carter Arcione. Uh, how do you see that really playing out? I mean, I know you've dealt with this with the Red Sox over the years. Yeah. Um, but how does that shake up? It was, did this really help or create a problem for them? See, I think there's a really big difference in like what Boston's done in the past where they've reinforced their infield with guys like Edward Eduardo Nunez, who – He's just kind of uh, Brock Holt's the same way, where they're just kind of all around utility players, more so on the probably defensive side than offensive side. But I mean, not always. It just depends on the the situation. But they've found guys that they can plug and play in different spots that are very versatile. This this makes me feel like so. Giancarlo Stanton's coming back this week. I saw, but this makes me feel like that Aaron Judge injury is very much more real. Has to be. It has to be. Like that, this is a really big bat to line up uh, to add. They didn't pay much for him because it, I mean he had a lot of contract that they had to pay, and ultimately Seattle is just trying to dump as many pieces like this as they can. But it feels like that is making up for something because I don't know what. 
Like, he is very strictly like a DH, maybe first baseman guy, but really not much anymore. Did he play in the outfield whenever he was in uh, Toronto? I don't remember. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think he's, to your point, been really regulated to that DH spot and, you know, a couple first base. And that, that really is where my question lies because, you know, if you look at a situation where Stanton is going to play, you know, some DH with his injury, how does that just shake up the rest of the team? Because, um, you know, Aaron Hicks, uh, you know, is a good center fielder, not great. Um, you know, it's just if you're putting Stanton out there, at some point, you're going to have to regulate, you know, a, a top guy who was once a top prospect in Clint Frazier to the bench. You know, Brent Gardner's had a real down year, but, you know, he, he's a big Yankees guy. They love him there. Terrific career. Um, I'm just wondering how it shakes out. Does Luke Voigt kind of get the boot? I mean, I know he doesn't yeah. have the pedigree the rest of these guys have, but, I mean, he's had a fantastic year. You know, 17 home runs. I mean, at 263 average. I mean, what more can you really ask for? I just find a hard time believing that you're going to move a guy who's been carrying your offense to a degree with all these injuries suddenly to the bench. Um, but it just you can't fit everyone in there. No. And I know a lot of Yankees folks have been talking about you know Clint Frazier or Geo being kind of a centerpiece around a trade to maybe bring in a starting pitcher. Uh, you know, someone at the trade deadline which that makes sense, but I'm just wondering from your standpoint, you know, you're pretty well in tune with the AL East, how you really see this. Does this cause more problems, um, you know, because you're bringing in guys who expect to play every day. These aren't role players like Eduardo Nunez, Brock Holt, who are used to playing all over the diamonds. These are guys who are solidified in one or two spots and are used to hitting top five in the order on a daily basis. So I always find it hard to believe that they're comfortable you know, being a role guy and not getting those daily at-bats. My thing about the Yankees are that, so I think it's multifaceted. I think the first part of this is that they found a good deal on a really good player and took advantage while they could. So I think that's smart. Yep. And and I, I like Brian Cashman overall as a GM. I thought he, I think he's overall done a real good job. He's a douchebag, but he's a good GM, I think. And he's treated this rebuild, quote-unquote, that the Yankees just had the exact way that you have to treat a rebuild in a big market. So I all the respect in the world to him here. So I think he took advantage of a, a weak spot with Seattle. And I get why. I get why Seattle did it. All that. The other side of that is I really feel like the Red Sox are starting to wake up. They're five and a half games off the lead. And Tampa Bay is a game and a half back from the lead as well. But I mean, really and truly, the Red Sox are 38 and 34. The, the Yankees are 42 and 27. They're really not that far off. And I, at some point, you and I have talked about this, Boston's going to turn the corner and they're going to start hitting the piss out of the ball again, which they're actually starting to do now. And their pitching is going to get better. Chris Sale is you know, starting to shape into his own. David Price looks really good. We've talked a lot about the concerns of the back of the bullpen for Boston. But I still think that there's this concern from the Yankee standpoint that they're not going to maintain that lead and that they need to maintain that lead. This is a hell of a deal to get to just help reinforce that. And I don't blame them for doing it. I really don't. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's a good problem to have, but I also think it's an easy solution, you know, being from the what Gardner's done. Uh, you know, I think you just stick with an outfield with Aaron Hicks, Giancarlo Stanton, and then you kind of platoon, you know, Cameron Maben, Brent Gardner, 
And then if Clint Frazier's still around, you deal with that. Uh, obviously, if Judge comes back, that's great. But, you know, a guy, uh, Kendris Morales, is on their roster on the DL right now. What the hell? I'd expect once he comes <laughs> off, he'd be, you know, either cut or traded. You know, it's kind of <laughs> not needed now. Um, but, yeah, to your point, I think this really reinforces the depth of this team and the lineup moving forward. I think they knew they needed to bring in a move. And uh, as we talked a little bit about on the show earlier, uh, with these new trade deadline rules, I think it just sped up that clock and you know, the Yankees went, why wait? You know, the, yeah. why, why, you know, let this sit around and let someone else, you know, when you look at, hey, who else needs a first baseman DH type? Well, you know, you can look right to Boston. I mean, Mitch Moreland's on the DL and not having a great year. You know, Michael Chavis has moved over there and struggled a little bit as of late, kind of had that rookie, you know, uh, lucky powder dust fall off a little bit. Um, so I think it was honestly a little bit too of, hey, let's get this done before Boston swoops in and gets them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of a double-faceted trade from that standpoint. So I think the other uh, part of this too is the Giancarlo Stanton injury has been really confusing. He's been out like most of the season and just like weird setbacks here and there. And it's got to be some reinforcement there too. It really does. I agree with that. And that's my other point is he's been on this rehab, had steps back to your point, had things kind of reflare up where I don't think they're completely sold that he's going to come back, be a hundred percent playing every day either. So I think they're just taking this as, Hey, we got a good problem to have where we got, you know, some depth, uh, and we'll just let the chips fall where they fall. And if we get everyone back and healthy, we'll just play the guys that, you know, the best guys out there. Um, but DJ LeMayhew has been a huge upgrade for that team, you know, hitting the top of the order. Brett Gardner's had a rough year who's usually sitting up there. So for him to come in, a guy, when you looked at the beginning of the year, is probably just going to be, you know, you know, kind of a platoon guy. He's really stepped up and taken, uh, you know, that opportunity by storm. So um, I can't wait to see how this affects what the rest of the division does, you know, Tampa and Boston, both in the thick of things in the, you know, wild card hunt. So they're going to have to make a corresponding move at some point. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit before as well. And with the Astros injuries, they're going to have to make a move too. So I think there's some teams who are sellers who are sitting there licking their chops going, man, we may be able to bring in some nice prospects here with how many, with these guys all, all making moves and counterpunching each other. The Rangers should be one of those teams. For sure. Yeah, I think Mike Miner is going to be a name that is going to bring back a pretty decent haul. I mean, he's had a fantastic year, even going back to the second half of last year. Um, and pretty much all these teams that are competing need a you know, middle-of-the-rotation guy, and especially a left-hander like him who's you know been pretty steady health-wise you know, the past couple seasons as well. I, I think a, a name that's definitely going to catch people's attention is him and and Hunter Pence, who's had a fantastic season. So um, if your team is selling, if you're having a bad baseball season, it may get better for your team uh, if you're able to bring in some uh, rock-solid prospects that could be Major League ready sooner than later. Yeah, exactly. Really quickly, too, is the biggest part of that. I think right. there's this, there's going to be this, this shift in that paradigm, and I think teams are definitely going to be able to take advantage of it because teams are cutting bait a lot sooner than they have in the past. I mean, Seattle got out of there almost immediately. Almost right. immediately. So, all right, well, let's round things out with U.S. Open talk. We are currently in the last round today. I, I think it tees off here in a little bit. How have you felt yeah. about the tournament so far? What do you see going forward? Yeah, so we're, we're just got the national coverage on Fox turned on here. Um, 
you know, what a tournament so far. Gary Woodland was, I think, around. You could get him in the 100-to-1-plus stage. Um, he's been rock solid, a guy that really struggled early in his career at majors. Uh, but the last year or so, you know, had a couple top 10 finishes. Uh, really a big, powerful guy. You look at him, you could almost mistake him for Brooks Kepka if you look at him uh, from afar. I mean, big guy, built well, strong, really muscle it. And, you know, him and Justin Rose, the two top guys, uh, it's not a mystery. They've been fantastic putting. I mean, the first day, Rose had 28 or 22 putts. Second day, 28. I mean, the short game that we've seen from both of them has been fantastic. Uh, you know, not two guys that we really had on our radar moving into this, uh, but that's why majors are great. They are hard to predict. Can't always predict the winners in golf. And um, I, I've loved it. I mean, the course hasn't played how a typical U.S. Open does for kind of some novice golf fans. Usually a U.S. Open, if you shoot below par, you're probably going to be a, a winner or within reach. Um, and the main part of that has been the conditions here at Pebble Beach this week. There hasn't been a ton of wind. Uh, really, the clouds have taken over. We haven't seen that sunny day with that breeze coming in off the coast. So these guys haven't had to deal with it. But uh, if you look at the pin placements today, um, if you know, you'll probably be listening to this after the fact. Uh, I would bet to say you're probably listening to this going, wow, that pin placement really came into factor for these last couple of groups because you're going to have to have some people taking some risk and they're going to end up in a few too many bunkers. But uh, been very enjoyable. I mean, we've had a great leaderboard. Uh, so from any golf standpoint, you had to have been you know, excited to this point, seeing all these big names in it. One thing I was really disappointed to see was Jordan Spieth reaming out his caddy yesterday. That the was a tournament. really bad look. Yeah, he, he, he is not. Him and Michael have had really you know, a tough go the past couple of years with just Spieth's struggles. Uh, they haven't been on base. And, and you see that with caddies all the time. And for those not familiar, Spieth and his caddy grew up together. They're best friends. So there's a little bit more um, of a relationship there than maybe just professional like you see with a lot of these folks, which I think kind of plays into maybe why you see such vocalness between each other. Um, but for a guy of his talent, you really hope he finds a way to turn it around. I agree. I, I It's disappointing to see. And maybe it's – I mean, he was a high school biology teacher before he was speed swing coach. So, I mean, right. it may be one of those things where he just needs someone new to help take him over to the next – you know, to the next – tier i guess you know and really keep pushing him sometimes you need a different perspective to help your game out you know and that's yeah you know that may be where they're coming to it feels like it i mean it, it's very unlike jordan speed to act like that but it seems like it's really kind of boiling over and that's very disappointing i mean it's one thing to see hank, uh, hank haney be eviscerated by tiger or something but that's different <laughs> <laughs> yeah very, very different but uh, i think we're in for a treat here and the afternoon groups, I think the final pairing goes off at 4.30 Central. So uh, I like these West Coast start times. I don't know about you, but it's kind of fun to see primetime golf It not wrapped up. It's nice to get wrapped up early in the day, but it's also fun to change it up and be, hey, we're going to go to bed and we're going to be seeing the 18th hole. Right. I'm totally good with that. Love that. Well, we'll be back, I think, uh, in the probably tomorrow with a few live reaction videos. I, de I think I'll definitely do one. I'm sure you'll do one as well just to talk a little bit about the, the fallout of it all. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. Perfect. All right, man, we'll see you next week. Keep it PC.